Hello and welcome to episode 14 of the Juice Box Podcast. This episode, let's call Talking Severe Adhesive Allergies with Henry's Mom. I like that. It's a little wordy, but it makes the point. Listen, real quick. Nothing you hear on the Juice Box Podcast or read on Ardensday.com constitutes at blah, blah. I'm not very good at this, am I? Nothing you read on the... Oh my God, here we go. Nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast or read on Ardensday.com constitutes advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making changes to your medical plan. A full disclosure is at the bottom of Ardensday.com and JuiceboxPodcast.com. You ready for episode 14? <laughs> so um, no one is going to have heard any of the... <laughs> 20 or so minutes of us trying to make sure you could hear us, hear me, but um, but we are starting now, so we're, we're, let me settle in, I'm usually settled in before I start, but you're going to hear creaking chairs and all kinds of stuff for a second. Um, okay, so I'm talking today with Rachel Morgan, and Rachel, are we going to say your son's yes, name? Henry. Rachel, Rachel is Henry's mom, and Henry has type 1 diabetes, I'm going to let you Rachel, tell you a little bit about Henry's diagnosis, how old he is, uh, how long he's had type 1, and then we'll get into some very interesting, well, they're not just speed bumps, but, but Rachel and Henry have had some, some interesting stuff happen, and they've, uh, they've found a way around it, and I think it's going to be interesting to, uh, to hear Rachel talk about it. So Rachel, take it away. Well, uh, last spring, I noticed, um, this was early March, late February, um, that Henry was kind of lethargic, coming home from daycare, asking for milk, something he never drank. And, um, and in the back of my mind, I just had this voice like, this is like he has diabetes and it, it doesn't run in our family. Not, it does now, but it didn't until then. Um, and the reason I knew is you know, I tell this story, people want to know is I, I grew up with my mom as an ER nurse. So we had this vague awareness of lots of maladies and syndromes, and I just couldn't put it out of my mind. And one night it was um, right before bed, we had a water cooler. He's three years old and he, he drank a cup. He just filled it to the brim and drank it. And then he handed the cup back to me and said, I want more water. So I put just a little bit in it because it was right before bedtime. He drank it really fast. And then he handed the cup back to me and he said, I want big water, mama. And I had this thought, like, is this a three-year-old tantrum happening or do I really need to call the doctor? And the next day I called the doctor and we're in the office and they say, oh, it's probably just um, a... Um, sorry, I got a, a text just now. No, that's <laughs> fine. I think I think the whole world is very connected and understand when texts come while you're doing something. <laughs> right. And so then the, the doctor said it's probably just a cold and no problem. And then, you know, the urine test showed he was spilling over 200. And we were on our way down to the children's hospital for our hospitalization and, and education. And just like, and that was last spring, 2014? It was March 6th, yeah. Wow. So you're right up on, um, you're, you're just a, you're just a month past his, his, his one yeah, year anniversary. Thir 13 months. Yeah. So that's one of the things we're going to talk about today is, um, what it's like to be newly diagnosed right now, because I'm eight years past it. Arden's eight years past it. And 
I imagine it's different now than it was eight years ago. So, um, so how are you guys handling things? Or was the first year as crazy as I remember it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think diagnosis at any age presents its own challenges. You know, yeah, sure. if you're a, you know, a young person or a teenager, you're probably learning about nutrition and counting carbs. And for a toddler, because Henry was three, he's four now, you know, we're learning how to potty train differently because, you know, you, you go to the bathroom a lot more and now he wears a, a pump and, and, you know, we're navigating that. And um, so it's those kind of things. And we left the hospital and we, we come home with a big bag of syringes. They started us on injections mm -hmm. and Humalog and Lantus and, and this sort of thing. And so we were two days out and we were, we were taught the constant carb method. So, you know, Henry will have about, you know, 30 to 40 carbs per meal and a 10 to 15 carb snack and blah, blah, blah. And we were working with these uh, one unit syringes. And I just had this moment. Uh, it was the moment between watching what he was eating, sitting the timer for 15 minutes, giving him the injection afterwards, and then trying to dial up half units of insulin on this tiny little syringe that didn't even have half unit marks. And I'm like, this is crazy. Something has to change. I mean, two days home. So, I mean, I knew I was aware that there were insulin pumps in uh, college. My husband's friend had diabetes. And so I'd seen an insulin pump and I'm like, we're, we're getting one of those. This is crazy. And um, so you know, we started doing a lot of research and, and pursuing that. And I, I talked with a lot of other parents, you know, say I went to a depression the first year of diagnosis and I didn't get that because initially after his diagnosis, it was a time of information and emergency. And now that life has settled in and this is the new normal, I understand what it means to feel, you know, down and out about, okay, so this is what it is. And that I, I say the emergency's passed and now we're learning to live with this in a day to day and, and, and it's okay. And Henry will be able to do everything that he was always going to do. Yeah. It just takes more planning and more effort. Yeah, You know, it's funny that we, we always apply these like arbitrary time frames to things because I remember after Arden was diagnosed thinking like, you know, at one year, I'll be way better at this. Like, like such an arbitrary idea. And then that first year came and went and I didn't feel much better at it. And then I was like, oh, well, okay, well, two years, <laughs> you know, maybe it'll be two years and I'll understand it. Um, <laughs> you, you know, as if like, like, why didn't I say like it, you know, at, at, at 19 months, I think this whole thing, will, you know, you know, you know yeah. um, I don't know if I could say that I was ever depressed about it, but we did, we hunkered down, like Arden and I just got in the house and stayed there together yeah. and. I feel like we spent like a year, a year and a half, like figuring diabetes out, like together. I was oddly scared to go out sometimes. And, you know, I didn't want to be in the car for too long. I had, I had ascribed all these strange thoughts to, you know, what I thought was going to make things better or worse. And then, you know, you stretch your legs a little more every day. And, and then you look back and go, why was I doing that? Right. Like, what did that have to do with anything? What was the difference between a 30 minute car ride and a 15 minute car ride? Like, you know, like, it's all sort of the same thing. Um, right, or the, the, even the notion oh, yeah, sure. of restaurant. And, and even when you were <laughs> like, talking about drawing up, what? first of all, they make syringes with half-unit marks on them, so... <laughs> they do, but funny thing about how prescriptions <laughs> are written and insurance is fulfilled, 
trust me. But but what trust yeah, what I, I what I was going to say is that somewhere back yeah. on my blog there's a a blog post about where I realized that even a half a unit was too much because Arden was exactly, you know, 2 years and a couple of weeks when she was diagnosed and probably didn't weigh more than about 18 pounds. So I took a little bit of insulin and I put food coloring in it. And then I taught myself like pressure on the syringe so I could draw up like a drop or two because there were some, there were times when two drops was enough and half of unit would have been way too much. So I used the visual, like coloring the, you know, I didn't inject colored insulin into her, but just so I could see it and feel it with the pressure. And I, I got to right. the point where I could, I could draw up less than a half of a unit by just kind of like feeling the pull. It was it was a silly, silly time. Um, so you you got onto a pump yeah. pretty quickly. Were you? How were you able to talk your doctors into doing it so fast? Persistence, anger. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you, when Henry was diagnosed, we called it early. Uh, I know some people don't believe in talking about A1Cs, but I think it's very helpful. Um, he was diagnosed. His A1C was 7.5. Mm -hmm. We were back in the office for the six-week follow-up a week early. So five weeks later, his A1C was 8.1. Mm -hmm. And the endo said, you guys are doing so great. You're doing such a great job at this. And my husband and I left feeling very frustrated. And on we go to a, 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 a university research children's hospital. Okay. And it's about an hour and a half. We live in a small town. So when we go to the diabetes clinics, you know, it's every we're, we have a long car ride to think about things. And on the way back, I looked at my husband and I said, I don't need a cheerleader. I need somebody who's going to tell me about these numbers, right. what to do with this, and, had, and who's gone to school for many, many years and, and can adjust these numbers. Like, this is, this is not what we need. And there's a policy, and I understand why there is a policy. You know, Henry wears an animus pump, and in, in that pump is enough insulin to keep him safe, but also enough insulin to kill him. And that's true for everybody who wears a pump right. and it's it's hard to hear so there's a lot of safety protocols and training that you have to go through but at our next endo appointment i had done some research and i said here's the best standard of care we want the best standard of care and they said okay well typically you need to, to show us you know these many um, months, it was three months of, of blood sugars and how you adjust it and you can manipulate numbers on your own. And I came with those and I said, here are all of his numbers. We want the pump. And just in case that didn't happen, I was at the point where I was going to change this from an HMO to a PPO and drive out of state to another university um, hospital where their standard of practice is if the patient and the family are willing, they will put you on a pump two weeks after diagnosis. Good for you. So we, we were going to get a pump one way Look or the other. Look at you. Excellent. I think that's fantastic. And and so no, so you were able to accomplish it with the at the hospital you were at and there was no, we were. There was no we were. blowback? You didn't feel uncomfortable or anything like that in the doctor's office or um, maybe you did <laughs> henry's had other medical issues so i think we're we're comfortable advocating for what he needs right. um and so i i think when we're saying you know this is the best standard of care this is what we want we're ready to do this yes and you know some some of the endos were like yes let's go let's do this thing and some of them are like well and it was actually some some of the more the the nurse educators the CDEs were a little more hesitant okay. 
And they're like, okay, let's let's wait on this. I'm like, no, let, let's not. Let's slap that CGM on. Let's get this pump. Let, let's go. I find not just with diabetes, but in most walks of life, people are comfortable with what they're comfortable with. And before long, they find themselves adhering to practices and they don't even know why anymore. It's just because right. this is how we do it. It ends up being the, you know, sort of the you know, the rallying cry, like, well, this is how we do it. Well, what if we did it like this? I, I can't even think of it like that. You, you know, and it takes right. somebody to come in and say, well, it's going to happen anyway. So try to get your mind right. And, and we're going to move forward because what's the worst that could happen? Especially if you're, you know, I do understand sometimes that the rules around newly diagnosed people are so generic because the doctors and nurses really can't know the level of understanding or commitment that the person sitting across from them has. It, no, and it's almost, no, it's almost like a speed limit. You, you know, like, you know, sometimes you come to a corner and it says you have to slow down to 25. Well, some people come through that corner in a Porsche and are like, you know what? I could probably go through this corner at like 55, uh, but we can't do that because the first person that comes through in a 25 year old Dodge, you know, you know, Dodge dart is going to like go rolling off the side of the, the road. So, <laughs> I, I get that, but it is up to you to then speak up and say, hey, I'm driving a Porsche. So what I'm saying is I don't think people have to follow the speed limit in corners if they have really great sports cars. And and it sounds like you are a, uh, you're a sports car in the diabetes world, and you, you didn't feel uncomfortable telling somebody that. And, and I think that's fantastic. My, my mom is a nurse, and she's actually, she's a, she has a DNP, so she's now actually a nursing professor. And you know, we grew up hearing medical language and stories, and I know, I know in my heart that's why we caught this so early. Yeah. Um, and I think that also makes me comfortable advocating for the care that he needs. Yeah, I, I, it's excellent. And I, I hope a lot of people take uh, confidence from what you just said. And, and because I do believe that there are far too many people that walk into those offices with a firm understanding of what they want and don't find the courage to you know, be able to summon up that courage and say, hey, you know, speak up for themselves and advocate for themselves. So good for you. Right. And, and I hope that that spills over to other people. Yeah. And it, it's hard, too. I mean, I can understand. I, I hear and I read a lot of things, um, you know, through the DOC. And you can see parents debating about, well, do I put a pump? On? I just the idea of wires or something attached mm -hmm. is just so hard. But and I, I, I can understand that perspective. But so so was. The, the dosing, you know, the, the multiple injections, and that may work for some people, but for us, it wasn't working. There was a lot of anxiety around, uh, you know, meal time and injecting him. And if he wanted more food, we would have to go back and do it again. And it was the point where Henry was choosing not to eat things right. because he didn't want a shot. Yeah. I have to stop Arden sometimes from she'll, she'll, even if she needs to test because she's so accustomed to the Dexcom and not testing at certain times. Like even if I'm like, hey, you know what? I'm not sure if I trust that CGM. Why don't you test? I'll see her start to work, you know, to speak. Like, oh, I'll just skip the meal. And I'm like, no, 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 we can't. We're not doing that, you know. Um, but with shots, it is it is prevalent, and I could see how that would would get into your psyche after a while. Like, you know, am I hungry or do I not want a needle? Like, which is more powerful for me right, right now? Um, well, that you know, so so you got a pump, and you like it. But then something started happening that made the doctor tell you that you shouldn't 
maybe you would have to get rid of the pump. And this is not something that happens, I think, to the degree it happened to Henry. I don't think it happens to people very frequently, although I do see people struggle a lot with it. Um, right. not, not quite as, you sent me some pictures, not quite as, as right. harshly as Henry got it. But can you tell people what happened? Yeah, yeah. Um, one one week before we got the pump, so we started pumping at the end of May. He was diagnosed in March, and we started pumping at the end of May. One week before we got on the pump, we got the Dexcom, and that was like the heavens parted, you know, manna rained down. I'm like, wow, I we can do this thing now. You know, I, I could see his numbers. It was amazing. Like, next week we're on the pump, and we were golden all summer long. Right. And so we were taking long car rides. We were going swimming. This was great. We could we could see this. He started um, a, a new daycare that gave a lot of confidence to his teachers in the classroom. And then in early October, I see this huge rash start to develop around the Dexcom. So I take it, I remove it, and it it just it encompasses his, his entire torso. He was wearing it on his lower back, um, and it just it goes up his trunk, up his neck. And one morning he woke up, and his face was red and swollen. And we took him in to his pediatrician, and his pediatrician has a son who also has type okay. 1. And she said, this is a tape and adhesive allergy. You have to discontinue everything immediately. Pump, Dexcom, everything. Do you hear, like, the cartoony movie screams in your head when that happens like no 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 like bells and whistles from like Bugs Bunny going off and everything and every ounce of your hope and energy yeah. just drains yes. right out onto the foot right right just you're just yes. like wow you felt did you feel like you were right back the day yes. he was diagnosed yes. right yeah yeah and 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 worse than that because I I now saw what these tools together could do and you're asking me to give them up right. you know so I tried a barrier with the um, Dexcom on his arm. Didn't work. And he had just these huge burns, huge burns. When, when I put up this show and in the show notes, can I put up a picture or two from him so people can see what you're talking about? Because it's, it's significantly yeah. more severe than when you just it's, see it's somebody not, on Facebook go, look, I'm having a reaction to the tape. No, yeah. no, no. It's not, it's not your contact dermatitis right. that your doctor will tell you what it is. This is a systematic immune reaction yeah no matter where it's touching him it affects his whole body and his entire body and i mean type 1 is an autoimmune disease so it makes sense that other autoimmune phenomena happen to people that have type Absolutely. 1 right hence celiac and, and other things and, and this is you know henry's additional autoimmune stuff that's happening and um thankfully through a, a long a high school friend who had type one through her mother, through friends for life, children with diabetes. She says, Hey, I know this nurse. She, she lectures nationally about this stuff. So I get this call from Natalie Bellini, a CDE affiliated with children with diabetes. Who's amazing. Mm -hmm. I'd sent her the pictures. She said, here's what you do. You don't stop the pump. You take that Dexcom off. And through her advice and through some research I'd done with ostomy and um, care for people specifically that have col um, the colostomy bags, mm -hmm. I, I found some products. And so here's, here's what we came up with. We will uh, discontinue the DEX. She said that those burns is what she called them, go all, through all the layers of the skin and will probably take six months to heal. And that was very true. 
um, we saw them finally go away this past February. Um, but so we quit prepping his skin with alcohol, like you had mentioned right. in a, a previous podcast. She's like, never, ever, ever do that. So we wash it with a antibacterial soap, warm water, let it completely dry. And then I use an inhaled steroid like Flonase that's meant for asthma, mm -hmm. but I use it off label with a prescription topically on his skin okay. where I'm going to apply it. That was also another long discussion in the endo's office. Then I use a cream barrier, Cavalin barrier. That's what folks with um, colostomy bags will recommend okay. for, for wound care. And then I put down Tegaderm HP, not Tegaderm. He's allergic even to Tegaderm. How about that? So, yeah. <laughs> and I didn't know that this existed until this wonderful woman, uh, Natalie, sent me through the mail her own supply of Tegaderm HP. She also has rashes. She's lived with type 1 for 40-some years. Yeah. And so we then just put the the sites through the, um, the, he wears a contact detach with Animus. So we put that right through the Tegaderm and then another layer of Tegaderm on top of it. And then the detach, the portion on top of that. So none of the adhesive is actually touching his skin. And um, so we're, we're, we never quit the pump. We stayed on the pump. But we are not back on decks yet. We're trying to get some IgA and IgE levels at this next endo day, which is next Tuesday. Mm -hmm. Our endo is uh, great with this. So he's talking about maybe a desens desensitization process, seeing what's going on. But I think I'm going to try something similar after next endo day to get back on decks and see what Yeah, happens. the only thing you said that confuses me is why... Could you try to continue with the pump, but not the Dexcom? Something about the wire? He was every adhesive. Every, okay. So, every So you wanted to like eliminate every... something and, and kind of boil it down to one thing and start over again. Exactly. I see. Any, they said, the reason they wanted us to go off the pump completely, they said any adhesive that is touching his skin will continue this flare-up. Rachel, do you have a blog? No. Would you consider writing a, a guest post for Arden's Day about this process? Sure. Oh, that'd be great. Excellent. Excellent. Because the extent of my, you know, I can only talk about the things that are affecting me. I don't, you know, suppose to know things that aren't happening in my life. So when I wrote the blog about I, how I stopped using alcohol, um, you know, that that's as much as I can offer people. But you have a, a much more, um, you know, a much more detailed process for a different situation um, I'd love to share it with people. So that yeah, we'll talk about that later, but that'd and be it's, great. It's not uncommon. I mean, I was on the phone with Dexcom demanding to know what was in their <laughs> adhesive. I mean, it, which they don't, they don't know. They don't. I know it. you're using ground but, up tires, <laughs> which I'm sure they're so, not. <laughs> no. So, and, and you know, I'm thinking long-term here, if this bionic pancreas happens, you know, this, they're using this off of Dexcom. You need to work I understand around. the adhesive has to be what it is so it can do this. So I'm thinking Henry long-term, like, you know, if, you know, this comes out when he's 18 and this is the best standard of care and this, I, I want him to be able to do that. So we have to, to figure out what the workaround well, is. Good for you. Again, you are proactive as they come. You know, I just want to jump in real quickly and let you know that there is a very thoughtful and well-written blog post that Rachel uh, gave me for Ardensday.com. You can go to Ardensday.com. Uh, right now it's under recent articles and featured but if you're listening to this in the future and things have rolled off the front page, 
Just go to the search bar and search for severe adhesive allergy and you will find the blog post that Rachel wrote. I'll tell you why I'm really behind what you're saying for a number of reasons, but this one specific reason. And once or twice I've probably mentioned my friend um, Mike who was diagnosed when we were kids uh, in high school. But Mike got very comfortable with shots and, you know, what he was doing. And then when he looked up a number of years later and wanted to kind of adjust to how things were happening, things had changed so many times in the 20 years that he had that like frozen moment where he was like, well, maybe I shouldn't do anything. Maybe I should just stick with what I'm doing. And he finally, you know, he finally, he found his courage to move up and, you know, and get away from you know, he wasn't even doing multiple daily injections. He was just doing, you know, like getting up in the morning and, you know, like literally like holding his hands up in the air going, I think I'm going to be about this active today and giving himself, you, you know, um, insulin that would last until he took it again at dinner time. And I do think that can happen. Like I'm not a proponent of switching just to switch. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't drop Arden's insulin pump because another insulin pump came out. But if I look up five years from now and something like you said, like the standard of care has accelerated or changed or taken a jump. I'm a huge proponent of, of keeping up with it because I don't think you want to be the person who 20 years from now is going, Oh, no one does it like this anymore. Y right. Yeah. Like, well, here's, here's another example. When Henry was diagnosed, uh, he was actually in diapers, which makes checking for ketones really difficult. Mm -hmm. Right. And so there is a blood ketone checker. And I found out about that through a subsequent appointment. And I'm like, why does everyone not have this? Because by the time you see ketones in urine, that's two hours old. Right. So why do we not have this immediate ability to check serum ketones? We do have it. And yeah, we have that, that meter. It's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. I don't use it very often, but when I use it, I'm happy to have it. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, I'll put a link to that. I have a blog post about that meter. I'll put a link to it in the show notes too. Uh, it's just, I mean, it's, checking ketones with a finger stick and it's yeah, you know it's, it's like it's like checking glucose yeah and it's a lot like not getting peed on too so just <laughs> <laughs> a which is just an added bonus um well so you've been through a lot already in a year yeah yeah <laughs> henry's also had two stomach bugs so we've gotten to go to the er and, and be hospitalized and and you know all kinds of exciting type one trials. How did you find, how did you find the community online? Because it, it, it strikes me that this, this convert, and I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't jot her name down, but the person who helped you with, with the rashes, um, I mean, that's another example of how, how tight and open and caring this, the diabetes community is and how people are so willing to help each other constantly. Um, but how did, what was your first kind of foray into it did you find uh, a blog or a twitter chat or how did you how did you find the community the first time i i i found several um blogs um six until me your blog um scott's blog and then i found the through through a personal connection that, that i was explaining to friend from high school children with diabetes and that you know they have got lots of links there mm -hmm. and we're actually going to go to the friends for life conference in florida uh this summer and so you know one one <clears throat> excuse me one blog would lead to the next and especially i think i found so many blogs because there were so many problems with the rashes that we had to solve okay 
and there are a lot of Facebook groups as well. Um, there's some for Animus, CGM in the Cloud, Dexcom. Uh, there's Dexcom Rash Facebook group. So and you just made your way I, through all of it. Oh yeah, yeah, I joined all of them. Yeah, I I say sometimes that I think that the day you're diagnosed, somebody at their doctor's office should mention that there's a there's a, a large contingent of people online talking about diabetes, and that that's a good place to go right. to go learn. We we were told about glue, um, which was I, I went on there. So we were told about glue, and then I found Diet Tribe, and those are good places to get information about research and you know what what's what the latest developments are. Yeah, now I, I've I've brought up Diet Tribe in past episodes because it's run by. By maybe one of the smartest people I've ever met. So um, you can you can trust what comes out of diatribe.org. That, that's for certain. I have to apologize to you. There are so many noises in the background. I don't know if Basil is just snoring <laughs> his head off. Arden's blood sugar is a little out of control at the moment. So you can hear my Dexcom app is beeping in the background. I'm doing everything but banging on the table. And I don't know if it's coming through to you or not. Um, but yeah, we're having our own little trials and tribulations today. I think it's possible that um, Arden's pump is coming up on 72 hours and it, it, it mm. might be giving in a, a couple hours early. Um, so we're, we're now, I'm just now randomly bolusing numbers. I'm picking numbers out of the air. I'm like, try another unit, do another half, do this, turn your basil up, <laughs> drink more. <laughs> um, but to be, to be perfectly honest, if it doesn't, if I don't see a change in the next Probably by the time you and I are finished, I think about 30 minutes or so, I'll probably pack myself up, put a baseball hat on, because you saw me when we were talking in the beginning. I'm not, I'm not right to go outside yet. Um, and uh, I'll probably go over to the school, and we'll change our pod and, uh, and get going. Because I just don't like – I think I'm a lot like you. I just don't like waiting around to see what's going to happen. You know, if, if, if there's enough markers here to say that something needs to happen, I, I, I just – I don't like waiting three and four hours to go, okay, uh, I, I was right. You know, we need to change this pump now. Right. So I, I, I like the proactive, you know, proactive without being insane and kinetic. You know, like I, I, I don't ever want Arden to look at me and go, my God, that guy looks like he's vibrating inside, you, you know, <laughs> because I'm not. But um, but I don't like sitting around and waiting. Well, it's, it's hard. You know, it's I, I, I think I said it to you in an earlier communication, but sometimes you feel like you live in two-hour increments, you know, so you give the insulin, you wait for it to peak, then you adjust from there. So there is there is a lot of anxious waiting. Yeah, yeah, and, and that frame that frame of time is different for so many people. Like, your people's insulin action times vary so greatly, too. Like, mm -hmm. what you say is two hours to somebody else might be three hours. Some people, four hours. Depends on the insulin you're using. I could i've lost this superpower but when arden was first diagnosed and we were just using you know injections i could tell you almost to the moment how long an hour was without any time piece whatsoever like if you just said to me scott right now speak up in an hour i i could do it i i had gotten so accustomed to testing and testing and testing because you know, it's just, it, it's, I don't know how well people whose, whose children aren't tiny under, don't understand that, but, you know, 18 pounds and Arden not really able to communicate how she feels. She's two years old. Right. Like all these, all these different things coming together, that testing was all I had, you know, and, and I would test it at real weird increments 
to try to figure out what insulin did and what food did. And that's why when the CGM came, it was, that was a huge burden from, from everything. It, it cut down on so many of the tests and it showed me that maybe what I thought was happening with the food, you know, I was on the right track, but I didn't, I didn't nearly understand it as well as I, as I could have or hoped to in, until I could see that trend line. And so I'm, I'm real hopeful for you that you're going to get it back uh, yeah. for, soon because, so does Henry have any other endocrine issues or does the allergy and the diabetes seem to be it for him? He's allergic to penicillin, cephalosporin, and sulfa. So basically every antibiotic that he could have, which correlates, the endo said, with tape and adhesive allergies. So yeah. My wife has yeah. a, um, a penicillin allergy and she has a thyroid condition. And then Arden has type one. Kelly's grand, Kelly's my wife. Kelly's grandmother had celiac. Um, mm. One of my nieces has a, a, a shaky immune system, uh, and it, it's interesting. It only seems to be the females on my wife's side of the family. Now, to be fair, I'm adopted, so we don't have any actual data from my side of the family. But on on Kelly's side of the family, it, it seems to just affect the the females, which is. But they all have something different. Nobody, there's no duplication right. of, of an issue. We we have autoimmune um, issues on both sides of our family as well. But this would be the first instance of, of type one, and I thought it was very interesting. I mean, we're you know we we're down in Iowa City right after diagnosis, and they've got you know all the docs in the room and the nurse, and they're like, okay, he does have type one. What other autoimmune diseases run in your family? And that's when it kind of clicked with me, like that's what this is, you know, that's, that, that kind of makes sense. And it, I don't think I really understood that type one was an autoimmune disease until that point. Yeah. I wish someone would have said that to us because it took a number of years before I just really by happenstance was, I don't know, complaining or explaining that my wife wasn't feeling well during one of Arden's endo appointments. And our nurse practitioner turned to me and said, you need to take her to an endocrinologist. Um, endocrine issues run in families. And I was like, what? Like, like, you know, she's like, you're describing something I think she should go to an endocrinologist for. I think she has a thyroid condition. And that was huge for my wife because not to get too far off diabetes, but my wife had already had that thought years before. And she went to an endocrinologist who tested her and said, no, your, your tests are within range. That's not your problem. And so we finally found an endocrinologist where my wife could say, look, I don't honestly care what the test says. Treat me like I have it and let's see what happens. And one guy who was willing to just give her Synthroid um, and give it a shot ended up saving her because, you know, for years before that, people were just like she was she she had started like she was losing her hair. She was lethargic. She was, you know, um, wow. you know, gaining weight for no reason and all this stuff. And every time she'd go to a regular doctor, they would just, they brush her aside. They'd be like, lose weight and come back. You'll feel better. And she'd be like, you don't understand. Like, I'm not doing anything differently than I did before this was happening to me. This one doctor who was willing to listen, um, these two beeps from the Dexcom are going to, they're going to haunt me today. Um, the, the, um, the one doctor that was willing to listen, you know, took a leap, gave her the Synthroid. And I will tell you that in like three days to a week, it started to change her life. You know, and sometimes that it's just another good example of like, you know, sticking up for yourself is 
is really the thing to do. I mean, I know, you know, I'm probably repeating myself from past episodes, but we are conditioned to listen to certain people in society, you know, doctors, uh, police, you know, firemen, like, you know, teachers, like there's some people who you just, you would never consider questioning when they're speaking to you, but you know, sometimes you have to. And, and, and don't just be, don't let the four-year-old inside of you look up at that doctor and think that that's a magic man right there. He knows everything. I know nothing, you know, especially with diabetes, because you don't have to live with it for too long before you start getting more insight into the disease than probably the doctor you have has. So, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm a big advocate of, of advocating for yourself. And And, and these are, these are our children, right? So that's, yeah, you just that, can't. That's that that other level. You you would do anything yeah, for, for your kids. You can't just throw your hands up and give up. I mean, that's not you know, you, you know, it's, it's not you. It's not it's not like oh, I've I've given into the idea that I'm going to wake up every morning and my heel's going to hurt for the rest of my life. Like you, you know, like it's you got to you have to keep trying and keep swinging and and uh, and you know if the doctor fails you, go online, ask other people. I mean, that's the best. I mean, that's really the best resource is, is like you said, there's all these great places to go online. Just ask your question out loud. Maybe somebody will just say something that'll clue you in and get you moving in the right direction. Not that they need to give you the, you know, the absolute answer, but they could, they could get you moving and, you know, get you thinking about something you hadn't thought about before. Like, like I said, with my wife or, you, you know, uh, any number of other things or you had happened with the, with the tape allergy. Um, Henry's in preschool. He is. He's in preschool, and we we love. You it. found a good so one. We, we did. Good. My husband and I both work at a university, and they have an on-site daycare, and it's it's been amazing because the, the university we work at, one of the the things they're known for is their education program, and so on campus they have all of these amazing students who are studying to be elementary ed, middle school, high school teachers, and they all work in this daycare as well as the full-time adult staff and. I think that we've had a couple kids who specifically babysit for us, and, and there's um, a couple of the, the students who will come in and, and do his carb counting and, and specifically help him through lunch and snack time, and they've been so amazing. And, and one student said, I, I just think about the students that I will have in my classroom that will have diabetes, and it's not going to scare me. I'm going to know what to do. Yeah, so so you're you're doing this thing, um, like Henry's actually helping other kids in the future who might not even have diabetes yet, just by by him being there and 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 allowing these people to help him. That's right. All, all these future teachers are being exposed to that. Yeah, so. yeah. You know, I I haven't. It's not out yet, but I'm in the middle of recording an episode with uh, Paige Kennedy. Paige was the friend of. Um, Will, Will Hover, oh, I'm going to say Will's last name wrong, um, the Egg Crack Challenge. Will Will started the oh, Egg Crack yeah. Challenge and, and has since passed away. And um, I'm in the middle of talking to Paige, and, and I'm about to talk to, to Will's mother and kind of edit the whole thing together. But Paige is, is on her way to um, medical school. And everything she's learned from the Egg Crack Challenge uh, about diabetes, even though she was you know, good friends with Will for all through high school and college and even dated him for, for a time in high school, she said she still didn't have a real firm understanding, excuse me, of type one diabetes, even being around it that much. It's only since his passing, um, that she's gotten involved in the egg crack challenge that she's starting to hear from more people and really understand the, 
you know, the depth of what it means to have type one diabetes and, and that might end up, you know, informing what kind of a physician she becomes one day. So right. it is really right. just people helping people in ways that you don't imagine. Um, you know, if you stopped and if you sit back and really think about it, you, your mind would never, would never come to that. It would never say, Hey, Henry's in a, in a preschool where there are kids learning how to be teachers. And one day, you know, one day there'll be some little some little kid in a in a fourth grade class who who is having an easier time because Henry's you know Henry's preschool teacher is their teacher now so that's beautiful it's really so. kind of beautiful so good for you look and so no no problems like you hear a lot from people about pre especially at preschool now you know I, I'm a stay at home father I've been one for a, I'm not even I don't even want to say it's going to make me sound old but for a really <laughs> really long time and even though. Arden didn't need preschool. We did want her to have some of the socialization aspects right. of it. So I tried to find one where she could just go like a couple mornings once in a while. And I finally did. But the extent that I was able to, uh, to, to make happen for Arden was basically she went into the room and I sat out in the vestibule. Yes. We, we've done that with some summer art camps. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's it's hard, it, especially with a young child that cannot articulate. I feel low. I feel high. You know, that's, you, you're putting a lot of trust in that in that caregiver or that facility. Um, you know, we're we're affiliated with the university. We're a public university, and the, it's been amazing. The director had us in there. We completely trained the entire staff during their orientation. People checked their own blood sugars, and it was very funny. One of his primary teachers, her blood sugar was, I think, 76, and she's like, am I supposed to drink a juice box right now? <laughs> is, 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 this, is this okay? So, um, it, and it's been amazing. And, and we've used some of the resources um, that the ADA has. They've got a lot of PowerPoints and, and things like that for people to care, take into schools. But I, I have seen so many instances where people – will post in a lot of these online forums and say, hey, the preschool just said my son or daughter can't go here anymore because of type right. one. And that's just heartbreaking. It is. And and here's the worst part. Sort of understandable. And I know that a lot of people won't agree with that. And I and I but if you're a if you're if you're in a situation where you think to yourself either, you know, I wanna I wanna hope that when these kids get turned down, they're being turned down because because the school's saying, look, I don't think we can give them the proper care and I don't think it's safe. I guess right. I guess the cynic inside of me says they're doing it for you know, for for legal reasons and they don't want to be held accountable for anything. But I mean, I can understand somebody saying, I don't think this is something that we can do. And and it's it's disappointing and heartbreaking that this is happening to the kids and I, I just I'm stuck right in the I'm not in the middle. I'm I'm more towards the side of hey, screw you. You have to help us. But I do get it a little bit. You know, like I can understand being scared of it. If if you know, I've seen that look on on teachers' faces, on friends' faces. You know, friends' parents' faces. They 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 want to do the right thing. They're not sure if they know what the right thing is. And I think sometimes all the education in the world doesn't bring them even close to where they would really need to be if something really went bonkers. And do you, do you have a, do you have that worry ever that, 
that if something went nuts with Henry, that there'd just be a lot of frozen faces and nobody would know how to react? Um, yeah, I mean, look, being a parent of somebody with type 1, I think, means you have all kinds of new worries and fears that <laughs> never leave mm. you. Um, I, I, I feel pretty comfortable where he is now. Um, so, I, I, honestly, I worry about school and, and his 504 and, and that sort of thing. And and because he he will be young, he he'll he will. This is the life he will have known. And I, I, as a kindergartner, you know, he he does his own finger pokes sometimes if he wants to help. We don't you know force this on him. We talk about numbers and carb counting and checking his blood sugar, not testing it, and you know all of this stuff. And so sometimes he wants to help, but he can't be totally responsible for that. Absolutely not. Um, so I'm, I'm, I think about the future a lot, but you know, if he were to need glucagon, for example, um, I, I think that they would, they would be prepared for that. So that that we've taken his old expired glucagons and like, okay, here's how you do it. Here's the orange, and you know, have at it, and and let people train with those as well. Yeah, I I've had a a couple of times. Once was with a with a a friend of Arden's. It was a parent of a friend. And after multiple, multiple, multiple times of Arden being over there and playing and doing things or at a party at their house or something, and I've had all these conversations and explained all the things that I felt like I needed to explain and not tried to overwhelm them, but just gave them enough. This person comes to me one day and just, we were just kind of a quiet moment. We're sitting around and, and, and they say, you know, I don't think I completely understand the diabetes thing. And I was like, oh, do you have a question? She goes... Yeah, what's it with all the sugar and what? And, and, and I was like, oh my god, like no understanding whatsoever. Just I would have done just as well. It's just leave Arden in a field by herself. You know, like it really, and it baffled me because we had long, long conversations. But those are the people who end up saying after, you know, I don't believe. I try not to believe this when people say, oh, you know, if I, I don't think I could handle this if it happened to us. And I, you know, my first reaction is always, oh, it's your kid, you would figure it out. But now there's sort of this heartbroken little part of me who thinks that there are a certain segment of people who, who, who can't handle it. And I do wonder about those kids, you know, sometimes, you know, are they, are they somewhere right now with a person who just never really could figure it all out or get the math of it or, you know, take the pressure and, and how are they handling it and, you know. Because I tell you, I would have bet money that this person understood. <laughs> you know, like, I thought I was being, you know, I, I, I've explained it to a number of people. I've talked in front of large groups. I, I feel like I can talk about diabetes in a in a cogent way, you know, that's understandable. And she, she just didn't know. She was just lost. And I was like, oh, okay. So um, Arden was over there again recently, and we just, I just ratcheted up, you know, the level of, you know, our communication, we just ended up talking a little more through text right. messages. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it really does. Arden's had teachers who I knew for sure understood. And she's had teachers that I've thought, wow, I think if anything really goes wrong, all that person's going to do is call the nurse's office. I can see the school that Henry will attend from the edge of my block. <laughs> so, so you have running yeah. shoes on? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you know, yeah. you know what's f funny is this happened to us a couple of days ago. So if you listen to this podcast, you pretty much know that Arden's wearing a, a Dexcom CGM. I can see her numbers on my cell phone. 
Um, and she and I talk extensively sometimes throughout the day by text messages. And we handle her blood sugars completely by ourselves. She's at this point hasn't been in the nurse's office for a diabetes related thing since I think the beginning of third grade and she's about to finish fifth grade. And so the other day at the end of the day, she had gym at the end of the day and I saw her blood sugar. It started kind of trending down. It was, it was a little high to begin with when she left for gym, she was like 180 and it was trending down and just kind of a diagonal down arrow. And it was just coasting down and I felt pretty comfortable that she'd be back from gym before it, before it got crazy. Um, and maybe I didn't even think it was going to go low, but so much, I was so comfortable. I got in the shower and I think right now that any person whose child has diabetes completely, completely feels me when I say, I don't think I got in the shower until like two 30 that day. And, and so, so I'm in the shower and my phone's beeping again and I look over and now it's, she's like 160, but now the arrow's straight down. So for people who don't use Dexcom, straight down could mean that her blood sugar is falling about two points per minute. And so I was like, okay, I still have time. I looked at the clock. I knew when gym was going to be over. But then it went to 130 straight down. And now I'm tallying off a little faster. And Looking for that second. And I'm texting her. Hey, Arden. Hey, Arden. Hey, Arden. Hey, Arden. Like, you know, over and over again. And nothing. She's not responding at all. And then it was 120 straight down, and then it was 110 straight down. And at this point now, now I'm just texting letters, hoping to get her attention or that the teacher will hear it. But in my heart, I realized they're in gym, her bag's off to the side with her phone, and it, it, the kids are probably screaming. Nobody hears this, but I don't want to panic. Like I pride myself on not panicking. But 110 became 100, became 95, and Arden School is a block from here. And before I knew it, I couldn't stop myself. I had a shirt and a t-shirt and a pair of shorts on and I slipped on a pair of shoes and I drove across the street and it was 85 and 80 and 75. And I got to the office window and, you know, in a post 9-11 world, getting into my kid's school, you know, takes an act of Congress. You have to have photo ID and, you know, somebody has to come vouch for you and, you know, and everything else. And I went to the window and I looked at the woman and I said, I need you to trust me. I have to go in the building right now. I will come back and explain. And she buzzed me right open. I said, where is Arden? And she looked in the computer and she's like, she should still be in gym. So I run down to the gym, probably scaring small children, <laughs> scaring myself, worrying that the school's going to think that this great plan that's working perfectly for us is not a great plan anymore. Like that was my biggest concern. I was stuck in between Arden's safety and not wanting to throw what we were doing off kilter at the school. And I walk in the gym and I look at the gym teacher and there's like three kids left in the gym. And I went, Arden? And he goes, she just walked back to class. And I looked at my phone and her blood sugar's 60 and it's still straight down. And I'm like, Jesus. So now I'm speed walking through the school, trying to remember where Arden's class is. Cause I'm not there that often. I'm texting her and texting her and texting her and just a second later, I get this text from her. I'm probably about 75 yards from her class, and I get this text message. Why are you texting me so much? <laughs> and I just texted back, no. drink a juice, you're low. And she goes, okay. And I stop myself in my tracks, and I'm like, okay. I'm not going to go find her. I'm not going to go panic. I'm not going to go tell anybody. 
Like, it's good. I'm o- it's going to be okay. And so she, she, I texted her back in a second. Did you drink the juice? She said, I did. Do you feel dizzy? She said, I don't. I said, if you feel dizzy, I want you to text me back. She said, okay. And I turned around and I calmly walked back to the office and said to the woman, I'm really sorry. Um, you know, I just couldn't contact Arden and her blood sugar was in a bad way and everything's fine and thanks very much. And I couldn't get out of the building quick enough because I really didn't want somebody to grab me and go, Hey, you know? And so, uh, the, the woman at the front did say to me, she goes, just take a deep breath. And I said, I'm actually fine. I think the out of breath thing is just from being out of shape. And she, and she <laughs> laughed and, and, um, and I, and I got outside and I just took this big, deep breath and, and I just went back to my life. I'm like, it's okay. Like I, I, in a, in a heartbeat, I thought, I didn't overreact, but I, I guess I ended up overreacting because if I could have saw the future, I would have been all right with her texting me back at 60 and being like, hey, it's me. I'm sorry. I didn't hear. I was just in gym. And, um, and she was, you know, she was absolutely fine. Um, but there is that part of me that went back over it again afterwards. And I thought, when's the last time I actually spoke to the gym teacher about this? Like, what do they really know about it? Right. You, you, you know, like... What does her teacher really know? It's April. It's almost May. School's almost over. I, you know, at the last back to school night, her teacher had no idea. She's like, I wouldn't even know Arden had diabetes if I didn't hear beeping. Sometimes I'd never think of it. And they, you know, that's you, uh, you, we know what this disease can do, and that's why it creates those moments. And I think that there is, it's very easy to have a perception of like, oh, you can and can't eat this, and what is it about the sugar, and you take insulin and you're fine, right? It's a real the, oversimplification the, because I don't think there's any other way. No, the, yeah. the drug that makes life possible could also end mm-hmm. it, and that's, and you're, you are trying to replicate a human organ. You know, we've got a village of people around Henry trying to be his pancreas. And as much as we love him and as much as we know, like we can't do what his pancreas did. Right, right. Yeah, so. yeah. It, it, I just found myself explaining this to a person the other day, just the idea of the the amount of time it takes for man-made insulin to start working and how it, it takes a protracted amount of time to finish what it's doing. And, you know, I, I think I said to the person that I was talking to, I was like, you know, if you took a, if you had an apple right now, I said, I don't know, an apple might have eight or nine carbs in it. I said, you'd eat it. Maybe your blood sugar would bump up a little bit maybe it would go to 110 and then you know your your body would bring it right back again in a very quick and reasonable amount of time i said by the time your blood sugar was back to where it started arden's insulin would just start to work you you know and her blood sugar would already be moving up and then there would be that fight between the insulin and this and i tried to describe how if i use too much insulin once the carbs from the apple are kind of gone from her system that her insulin wouldn't know to stop working. It would just continue to, um, sorry, there's an alarm to check Arden's CGM. Um, it, that it wouldn't know to stop working. It would just keep going and it could just keep dragging her blood sugar down. And the, the empty looks that I was getting back was, was my, you know, you know, I've said before and I'll say again, like I want people to understand, but it's not reasonable to expect everybody to understand diabetes or anything else that's going on in somebody else's life completely. But the difference between having a real firm grasp and deep understanding and understanding it all was what I was seeing on their faces. Like I know that 
they were looking back at me like, oh, diabetes. I just thought that meant no soda. Yeah, you know, like right. They can't eat pizza. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just a real. It was a disconnect that was. It was. It's not. I, I'm not heartbroken by it anymore. But it, to me, it, it tells a real story, and it tells me that we are, we are going to be responsible for Arden's safety throughout her life, and she's going to be responsible for it as an adult. Like counting on somebody else, is is an exercise in flipping a coin really. So, yeah, you know, well, that brought things way down. Something, <laughs> um, something good must be happening for Henry. Did he, uh, w- tell me about going to friend. You're going to go to friends for life. We are coming up on an hour, but you're going to do right. something that I want to do every year and never get to do I've, because my kids it, play too much competitive softball and baseball. But where are you going there? This was the same CDE that I had mentioned and I thought this woman who's allowed us to stay on the pump, who's mailing her us her own supplies, we've got to go there. And I've heard so many good things. Yeah. It's called um, Children with Diabetes. They have a website and they do a Friends for Life conference. I think it has an international draw, ma- mainly Americans, but I'm reading folks from Ireland, England, Canada are coming in. It's in Florida. It's in the summer. And from what I understand, it's a very positive experience because they, they teach the entire family about what does it mean to live with type one? You have presenters from the the guy who's working on the, the bionic pancreas. You have folks who've lived with it. I think uh, the, it's a Gary Snyder who wrote Think Like a Pancreas. He presents there uh, and just you see families that that live this life and it's it's a good life. And they, they, they're there, they, they commune and they celebrate together. And I think we want to be part of that. It's important for me that Henry see other people wearing pumps, particularly little kids his age. You know, he's met some adults that wear pumps, but he's not seen a little kid his age. Okay. And I want, I want him to, to see that and experience that. And I'm looking forward to it. I haven't been, but I've heard nothing but amazing things about it yeah yeah i again i've i've been to a local one in philadelphia like a breakout one i guess um but i've never been to florida i my friend moira um moira mccarthy she gave the keynote i think the last couple of years there i don't know if she's doing it again this year but she's a fantastic speaker and her daughter's a, a grown person with type one um yeah i wish i could i wish i could go but arden plays so much softball um it's little league um, like, like all stars and like district championships and things like that. And she'll be done that when she's 12. So I think that's going to be our first chance and is in a couple of years when, when she uh, gets past 12 years old, we should be able to finally go. I think you're going to have a fantastic time. And from what I've seen and from what other people have said, it's, you know, it's as magical as the place where they hold it, which I think is at Disney. So, Mm -hmm. um, are you going to catch a little Disney while you're there? No, um, we're going to go to Legoland. Yeah, nice. <laughs> so, yeah. Excellent. Good for you. Well, I think Henry is, uh, it sounds like he's a, a lucky little boy because you are perhaps the most well-prepared diabetes mom I've ever spoken to. <laughs> and you've got a motor, too, that doesn't let you stop. Um, how are you taking care of yourself? Is, uh, do, you find yourself, do you find yourself worn out, beat up? Yeah, it's the sleep. Um, and we got better sleep, obviously, when we had the CGM. Um, so my husband and I, we, we are pretty both, we're, we're both well-versed in 
dividing up the care. So it's, it's really the sleep issue. And that's probably one of the things that I want to get him back on the CGM for. I'm sure I'll still wake up. I'm sure I'll still check him. We have the Dex 4. We don't have the Dex Share, but I can only imagine how amazing that would be just to look at my phone and then go back to sleep. If, if it did nothing else but kept me from having to walk across the house in the middle of the night, it would be great just for that. But it, it is showing itself to be even more, especially when you pair it with, you know, I have it on my iPhone now. Like, I am seeing the benefits of, um, of, of having it at my fingertips. But, my gosh, overnight, just to be able to reach over to your nightstand and not completely right. wake up or get out of bed is a huge deal. You know, I had somebody, like – not really a um, a friend, but, you know, an acquaintance. I showed up at something recently, and this guy looks me looks at me and just goes, wow, you look terrible. And I said, oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm probably uh, tired. And he goes, from what? I said, I don't sleep as much as other people. <laughs> and so, and, you know, like last night was a great example. Like I went to bed last night. I was exhausted. I passed out on the sofa and I woke up to check on Arden and her blood sugar. I, we had a little out of range time with the CGM. So I wasn't getting a signal for like an hour. And of course in that hour, she, you know, her blood sugar jumped up. So I'm now, so you wait till it comes back down because I'm not good at waking up and, and getting up and falling back asleep and getting up again. Like once I'm asleep, I'm fairly asleep. So it was two o'clock in the morning. I bolused what I thought was a safe amount and then I waited about 45 minutes and saw that I didn't think that was doing it. So then, you know, I, I got more aggressive with the insulin. But I think I closed my eyes again by about four, maybe. Like, I think I was up mm-hmm. for two hours last night in the middle of the night. It's more extreme even than having a newborn. Yeah, yeah. And then when I woke up so. this morning, I felt that, um, you know, when you you know when you take a nap in the middle of the afternoon and you wake up at the wrong time from it and you can't tell what time it is or if you're touching the floor. Sandpaper on your yeah, eyes. Yeah, the whole thing. Yeah. That's how I felt this morning when I woke up, and yeah. and then you know, and then I get this guy telling me I look like hell. I'm like, buddy, I, I know. Trust me, you don't have to tell me, but thank you. Um, to this day, I think the most popular blog post on my blog is just a picture of me looking tired. <laughs> <laughs> which is disheartening for all the hard work I put into some of the writing. But never, nevertheless, um, I think it's what people really connect with is that idea of just being exhausted, you know? Um, yeah. Well, I, I know that this is great advice that I don't take myself all the time and that you won't take either, but please try to get some sleep and take care of yourself. <laughs> you know, I will say this. My mom is a nurse, and so when she visits, she takes the nights for us, mm-hmm. and we sleep. So... You know, once every two months, we can sleep through the there night. There you go. That should keep you alive for a good long time. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, well, Rachel, you were really fantastic. And I'm sorry we're running out of time because I do feel like we could talk more about other subjects. But um, I really appreciate you reaching out and, and wanting to do this. And um, would you say that if other people are thinking about reaching out and coming on the podcast, that, was it a good experience for you? Absolutely. I think the more that... The folks who, who live with this, the more we can talk to each other, There's the easier it is to bear and the better advice and the better care we can give the people we love. I tell you, I couldn't possibly agree more um, because um, I've just seen it firsthand so many times and I'm seeing it already, even though the podcast is like three or four months old um, and you should definitely go back and, and listen to other episodes if you get a chance. But, but even in this short amount of time, the reviews and the 
the private emails that I'm getting for people are, are just echoing what you just said over and over again. And, and it makes it, it makes it really, it makes it easier to do because it's not something that fits well into my day or into my life. And I know sometimes my wife looks at me like, did you just say I have to go upstairs in the bedroom and be quiet for an hour so you can talk to a woman from British Saskatchewan? And I'm like, I did. So hustle upstairs and fold some laundry while you're up there if you would. Um, but it really is, um, it, it's the community of people helping each other in myriads of ways is I think the cornerstone of how people get through this. And I'm just trying to be a, a small part of, of helping that continue on because um i don't know I, it's helped me and i've seen it help so many other people and and i hope it helped you a little bit and it already has i mean you found that wonderful woman that helped you with the tape allergy and Absolutely. and everything else all right i am going to hold you to writing a um a, a guest piece for for the blog and uh and um complete with pictures promise there'll be there'll be really eerie pictures of henry's rash which i've seen and uh, it right. really is fascinating to see how something starts locally and spreads like that. Um, it's frightening, honestly. It is. And, it is. I mean, it was to the point where they were worried about his airway, like a complete anaphylactic shock. Absolutely. So, I was worried yeah. about it. And you were sending me pictures of something that you'd already taken care of. And, you know, and, and yeah. when I looked at it, I was like, it's, it was frightening at first. And, and like yeah. you said, it is completely different from just... Um, you know, a localized reaction to something. But, um, you know, I, I would say to you, if, if you helped me earlier in the podcast when you said, you know, we don't clean with alcohol either, and you know I don't too, but it was just nice to hear that somebody else doesn't. Because, yeah. you know, excuse me, two weeks ago, I, I, I think I told this story, two weeks ago Arden was in a softball tournament and her, um, it was a whole weekend tournament, so she was like in a hot tub like every night after softball and and uh, coming up on 72 hours, her Omnipod just literally fell off. The adhesive had just had enough, and it, it fell off of her in like the third inning of the game. So I changed Arden's insulin pump on a bench on a dusty field with a bottle of water, five napkins, and an insulin pump. <laughs> so she stood in front of me while I sat on the bench. I just wiped her down with literally bottled water, and I was like, okay, like... Let's wait for a second while that dries. And then I slapped another pump on her and, and she went right back to playing again. And um, I know that there are a lot of people who would be horrified by that, but you know, um, it is something that we found to be necessary. Arden never had anything close to what I saw in Henry's pictures, but she was having reactions that would have, would have stopped her from using an insulin pump too, I think at some point. So yeah. anyway, um, Rachel, you are fantastic, and thank you so much for doing this. We are running over on time, so I'm going to say goodbye, and um, unless there's anything else you want to add, because the last episode I did with um, with Mason's mom, Michelle sent me an email like five minutes afterwards, and she's like, I, I really wish I would have mentioned this, and I was like, don't worry, Michelle. I was like, you mentioned a lot of good stuff. So um, is there anything else you, uh, you had, or, or is this goodbye? I, I just want to say thank you. Keep writing. Keep talking. Oh, I didn't mean for me, Rachel. I meant for other. I meant for something. No. Oh, thank you so much. Um, I, I do genuinely appreciate it, and uh, I appreciate your time here today. Same to you. Okay, have a great day. You too. Bye bye. Bye.
Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Juice Box Podcast. Don't forget, uh, there's a detailed blog post including pictures and sort of a walkthrough how-to uh, from Rachel this week on Arden's Day talking about her son Henry's severe adhesive allergy and how they deal with it. You can find me on social media at Arden's Day or at Juice Box Podcast. The podcast is at juiceboxpodcast.com iTunes, anywhere that podcasts are available. If you are able to go to iTunes and leave a rating or a review or both, I would really appreciate it for the Juicebox podcast. If you're enjoying it, please tell somebody else. And what else? There's got to be something else. Music for the Juicebox podcast is from Sydney Muller. And um, that's pretty much it. I thought this was a really great episode. Rachel was really well-spoken and articulate, and um, she was even nice enough to leave a link to her own personal website in case you want to ask her questions about the adhesive allergy. So if you go back to the blog post on ArdenStay.com or go into the show notes from this episode, there'll be links that you can follow to all of that stuff. All right, that's pretty much it. I will talk to you next week.